I'm going to preach my sermon and I'm probably going to adjust it on the fly a little bit. Um, but we've been looking at the table. Again, as a pastor, I'm passionate about the table. I'm passionate about what the table teaches us. Um, I'm excited when I hear we Friday, we're out there at, at Sioux County and, and several times the table was mentioned, even when another pastor was there. So it looked like um, I was doing my job. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, but it, this is this is a series. I, I genuinely believe it. I think it's profound for us spiritually. Um, I think that that it's something that we can embrace. We looked at the reality of the table, that that it's an example that Jesus Christ set for us. His ministry often took place at the table. His ministry often took place breaking bread, sharing life, doing life with with people. Um, what did we learn? What are some lessons that we've learned? We just talked about one being still. The reality that when you come to a table, you got to stop. Um, the, the community that's created when we're at a table, the experience of sharing and what that produces in us. Last week we talked about the discipline of preparation, that if we're going to have people over, we've got to get prepared. And this week I want to look at another discipline, another example, another lesson from the table. And I'm going to start actually in the verses that I, I read last week. I'm not going to read the whole parable this time. It's a lot, but I'm just going to read the beginning of it. Uh, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle, 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 whatever those are, cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servant went out to the streets. They gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. And these verses... They begin to reveal to me a discipline or an understanding or, or a principle, really, of the table. And what was the king doing? The king was excited about his son's wedding, right? And he's done what? He's prepared. We talked about being prepared last week. He said he had fatted uh, oxen and cattle. He had the banquet hall ready. So what did he have to do now? He had to invite, Right? We see this king had an an experience that he wanted to share with others. This king had an opportunity that he wanted others to be a part of. So he sent out his servants. They took his little invitations throughout town. They invited people. They ignored them. They invited people. He just wanted to invite people. He was so excited about what was going to happen. He wanted people to be there, right? Even when they rejected him, even when they killed his servants, what did he do? He just went and invited more people because he was what? He was excited about his son, and he wanted people to share in this moment. The reality for us as, as believers in our lives or, or whatever, we're quick to invite to things that we're excited about. I was thinking about our lives. Casey, I'm going to pick on you for a moment. When we moved here, it's almost been 14 years ago that we preached here for the first time. Isn't that crazy? Um, it was in August of, of 2009, I believe, was our first time we preached here. We didn't come till December, but still. So it's almost been 14 years and oh, about 13 years ago, there was someone who was excited about something, and he wanted us to experience it. We had moved to Crawford. We weren't uh, familiar. Remember my first Sunday? Don't have cowboy boots. Don't wear a belt buckle. Don't have a cowboy hat. 
Don't like my steaks rare? Remember that? This is a whole new culture for us. This was a whole new learning curve for us. And Casey had experienced something that he wanted us to be a part of. And so that 4th of July came, or that time frame of the rodeo. Actually, I believe that year, Irene still had her stall. So we went to the rodeo one night with Irene, and we went to the rodeo two nights with Pam and Casey. Why? Because it was something that Casey loved. It was something that Casey saw value in that he wanted us to be a part of. And I will say, for, for the last 13 years, we've sat on a trailer with Casey and Pam. We've watched the slack a few times. We actually used blankets this year because it was that cold. But it's become something that's of value to us. You see, when you believe something is important, when you believe something is good, you're inclined to want to invite others to be a part of it with you. When I speak of good, I'm going to get this off here. When I speak of good, I was just telling my wife the other day, you know what we haven't done in a while? Man, this is for you. We haven't made Cincinnati chili in a while. Cincinnati chili is good. And I want people to experience it. And so I, I promised before I, I prepared this sermon, before I was thinking along these lines, I said to my wife, hey, we need to make Cincinnati chili again for a carry-in because there's some people there I don't think have tasted it. We've had people to our house to have Cincinnati chili. We've had people come over. We make gyros sometimes if you've never had a gyro. Sometimes Tim likes to make gyros because it was something we experienced in Florida and we tried to figure out a way to make them and so we make them. And then we've got extras because we make a whole pan of them and we make a whole lot of tzatziki sauce. So guess what we have to do? We have to get rid of it. We have to give it away. So we call Mike, and Mike gets happy. Mike Witt, now. There's lots of Mikes. You've got to quantify here. But see, isn't that the reality of, of us? When there's something that's good, we want others to be a part of it. When, we, when there's something that we value, whether it's the rodeo or, or Cincinnati Chili, those are silly examples, but it's amazing how much easier at times it is to invite people to enjoy Cincinnati Chili than it is to invite people to enjoy the overwhelming, reckless love of God. Look at, look at Jesus. This is or, or, or the early beginnings of Jesus. Um, not the early beginning, because that sounds weird, but, but the beginning of John chapter 1. I want to read some verses there. There's a pattern we see. John chapter 1, John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. It still means the same thing. Isn't that nice? They they do that in mind. Um, Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying. And they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. Verse 42 says, And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. 
You will be called Cephas, which translated, when translated as Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there, Nathanael asked? Come and see, said Philip's. Said Philip, not Philip's, unless he had multiple personalities. In these verses that we just read in John, there's several instances. First, you start with John. John was doing these baptisms and he experienced something that he thought was profound. He had followers that were following him. He told them about the experience. And when he told them uh, what had happened, he, he's walking the next day. And when he's walking the next day, he goes back to that place the next day. He sees Jesus. And what does he say? Look, the Lamb of God. He looks at his disciples and he says, I found something good and I want you to see it. I'm guessing they went back the next day because they're trying to find what they had discovered. And when they saw the good that John had found, remember that was his ministry was to prepare the way for the one who was coming. That was what he was intended to do. He said, look, there is the Lamb of God. So what did his disciples do? They followed. They went, they cried out, Rabbi. They, 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 they followed Jesus. And what did Jesus say to them when they said, where are you staying? You remember what, he, what they said? I can go to this one. Let's see. Um, where, where, what does Jesus say? Come, he replied, and you will see. Did not Jesus invite them? Did not Jesus extend the invitation to these two disciples to come and see? And what happened? They stayed there all afternoon. They spent that day with him. So then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he, he was one of the ones who heard about him. So what did Andrew do? Because he experienced something good. He spent the day with Jesus and he thought it was good. So what does he do? Immediately. The first thing. Isn't that funny? He was so excited about about the experience he just had. He was so excited about the Messiah who had revealed himself. He goes to his brother, Simon. Come on. Right? And he brings him to Jesus. There's another invitation. And, and then later, we see Jesus is walking. And, and he sees Philip. And, and Philip, he says to Philip, come follow me. And Philip... He was excited about who he saw and what he experienced. And so he did what? He goes and finds Nathaniel. And what does he say? Come and see. See, that's the biblical invitation. Come and see. In, in John chapter 4, there's a story about, about a woman at a well. Remember, she's at this well. She's a Samaritan woman. Jesus comes, this whole drawing of water thing. They have this conversation back and forth. If you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask me for water. And then um, this whole revelation of, will you draw some for your husband? No, I don't have one husband, but you've got like five, and the guy you're living with now isn't your husband. And this woman at this well is so impacted by the revelation of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 4, verse 28, it says, Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people come and see 
A man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and they made their way towards them. You see, what I see in Scripture, what I see in these verses that I looked at in the book of John was that people had an experience with Jesus Christ. And they were so excited about the experience that they had that they longed for others to come and see what Jesus had done. To come and see this man who spoke truth over the life. To come and see the Messiah, the one John prophesied about, to come and see, to come and experience. Isn't that interesting? Come and, come and see. They didn't just say come. You know, sometimes I think we're good at come. But what about see? You see, when I've experienced, I don't want you just to come to the table when I put out a coney in front of you. If I got a hot dog with some mustard and onions, put some Cincinnati chili on top and some finely shredded, you know, a Cincinnati chili, Tony, they got a pile of cheese on top of there. It's like Mount Everest. You can't eat it without it falling all over you. I don't want you just to come. I want you to experience what I believe is good. I don't want you just to come and watch me eat it because you're going to laugh at the mess I make. I want you to come and see if I genuinely believe it's good. The other night, Elliot gets pretty worked up when there's clouds. He's not a storm fan right now. We're working through this phase in our lives. And the wind blew pretty hard. And it blew a limb out of the tree on the north side of our house. And it was laying over the mailbox. You know what I did? I went to the kids. I said, hey, come. Come and see. Look at what the wind did. It was something I thought they would be interested in seeing. I don't know why. But when there's something compelling, don't you want others to come and experience it? And maybe we don't see the value. So we're not inviting others. Maybe we're not recognizing the good. So we don't ask people to come. I don't know, I was trying to think of reasons why, why invitations at times can be so hard. Sometimes invitations are hard because of that stupid word, no. We feel rejected. We feel like people won't receive us. But I promise you, Jesus Christ was rejected several times. You're going to hear the word no in life. There's going to be people who don't receive what you have to offer. That doesn't mean you stop offering. It means what? What happened to the king? I'm not saying he's the greatest model because he killed everybody who rejected him. So don't kill people when they reject you. But what did he do? He believed so much in what the experience to come was that he just kept inviting. He kept inviting until someone came. Who did he end up getting to come? The good and the bad. Because he knew there was something for people to experience. He prepared it. He knew the encounter that was coming. And so he wanted others to join him. Sometimes I believe we don't invite because we're insecure. We're afraid. We're forgetful. We're complacent. Or we're ashamed. I think that, that sometimes the invitation is, is, is because we're afraid of no. Sometimes it's because we're ashamed of what we're inviting them to. I promise you, when you come into my home, you're going to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right? Yeah, you do your best to present your home. I've got, you invite me, or or, or you come to my house, I've got four kids. And sometimes the dinner table's hard. 
you know what I mean? Sometimes the pastor might speak a little more aggressively than he does at church or with a different tone. How about we say that? Right, Graham? I've got to know that when you come, that, that you're going to experience that. But the reality that I have is that there's something greater in me. There's something greater in what we're sharing in spite of my flaws, in spite of, uh, of my mistakes, in spite of maybe the, the food not being the greatest thing you've ever ate, unless it's Cincinnati chili that I cooked for you. I mean, it doesn't really matter because I want you to experience it. I mean, look at this one. I'll, this, is an interesting, this is an interesting story you don't get much context on in Scripture. Matthew chapter 9. Jesus went on from there. Two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he'd gone indoors, the blind men came to him. And he asked them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. He touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. There were two blind men. They recognized Jesus Christ. They recognized the power of Jesus Christ. They followed him. They they, they sought him out. Jesus touches them. He heals their eyes. Their sight is restored. Jesus warns them sternly. What does he say? Let's, let's just keep this on the DL. You don't see many times in Scripture where it says, Jesus warned sternly. Now, I look at these guys, and I'm not saying this is the pattern to follow because they're acting in disobedience, but we don't see much that comes from this. So why is this in Scripture? I look at this, Jesus, the one who they followed, the one who they cried out to, the one who touched their eyes, the one who brought blind eyes to sight, speaks to them and says, hey, don't tell anyone. Now, how they're going to hide this when they go back to town, I don't know. Blind guys seeing seems pretty obvious. Like, you know, the cane's gone and, and they can find the stuff on the wall. I don't know. But they're supposed to conceal this. But what happens? But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. You see, good news is hard to contain. Good news is really hard to keep quiet. When you're genuinely excited about something, this, this case, I'm using it, I'm not saying follow this example because they disobeyed, but I'm looking at it saying, how in the world does Jesus look at them sternly and say, don't tell anybody? And the first thing they do, because they're so excited about the good news of Jesus Christ, they're so excited about the experience that they just shared with Jesus Christ, they could do nothing but share. They could do nothing but say. They could do nothing but tell others to come and see what God has done. Maybe we don't invite because we're missing the goodness. Maybe we're not sharing because we don't recognize the value. I'm not talking about church invitations right now, I'm talking about home invitations, I'm talking about life invitations. Every one of us is called to be a witness of Jesus Christ. Correct? That's not just a job for a pastor, and that's not just something that happens on Sunday mornings. It's what happens in our lives. He's looked at every one of us and said, you're qualified to carry my name, to call you my very own. He's adopted us. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. He's given us his identity. And what are we witnesses for? 
This verse came up in Sunday school this morning. You're the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's not a word just for Sundays. That's a word for your life. You're a light in this world. You are salt where you go. I want to tell you what God has done in your life is valuable. I want to tell you that the reality of hidden sin and deliberate sin that is forgiven, that you live as a new creation in Jesus Christ, is important enough for someone else to come and see your life, your home, your experience, who you are in Christ is powerful enough for others to come and see. I don't know if we see that we're valuable enough. We hear the stories of the guy that was strung out on on, on drugs and did this and he murdered people and he, he experienced Jesus Christ and was transformed. We think that's the only life that people want to experience. That's the only story that people want to hear. I'm telling you, your life The product of God in you, your gifts, your ability, your relationship with Him is good. Any place the cross, the blood, the promise of the new covenant has been revealed is a good story. It's one that people need to come and see. That comes through relationship. That comes through the table. That comes through you opening yourself to them. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians. I lost it up here. Paul writes a letter to the church in Corinth. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do you? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? I know he's talking to a church, he's talking about his reputation with them, but listen to what he says in verse 2. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. Verse 3 says, you show that you're a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, not with ink, but with the Spirit of Of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. What did Paul compare us to? Your life is what? A letter from who? Who writes letters? I guess there's sometimes in counseling you write a letter not to be shared. But for the most part, who writes letters not to be shared? I believe that God has written a letter in your life that needs to be shared with the world around you. Can you get that book that's underneath you? Thank you. I called and got permission before I did this. A couple years ago, Kathy Raven came to me and she said, Pastor, I'm writing a book. That's great, Kathy. What's your book about? You know, she's written some poems and stuff, so I didn't know it would be something like that. She said, I'm writing a book. And she called it Lessons for My Grandchildren. 
And she started telling me about her book, and she said, I just want to put in there nuggets. I want to put in there lessons. I wanted to put in there life. And she, she went through the process, and, and when I talked to her, she was working on it. She was typing on her computer. She was putting it together. She couldn't get a publisher because publishers only want people with lots of followers on social media. It doesn't matter how good the content is. So she had to publish it herself. And you know what she had the nerve to call this book? It says, Lessons for My Grandchildren, but she got some quotation marks. The ultimate sermon. What? That's pretty brazen to say your sermons are better than mine, but okay. Why? Because she recognized that her life was a letter from Christ that needed to be expressed to who? Those she loved and cared about. Her children and her grandchildren. She said, my life, God has written through me a letter that is of value for you. She told me how expensive these books were. I promise this is one of the most expensive books in my library. She said, I'm spending this for him. Why? Because she saw it as a value. We just read the parable in, in, in Sunday school about the, the guy who found a treasure in his field. And what did he do? He sold all that he had to take what was valuable. I want to tell you that letter that Christ is writing in your life is valuable. I want to tell you that letter he's writing through your experiences, through what he's done, is one that he wants others to share. It's one that he wants others to come and see. That's why he called calls us to repentance. That's why he pauses us on a Sunday and he says, come, come if you need forgiveness. Come if you need to acknowledge. Come when you recognize sin. Wasn't that what he did today? Come awake. Let me see. Let me know. Come. Come and see. I don't know what you're going to sing. You gotta figure that out. That's what happens when Walton Carey aren't here. Lessons from the table. When God is moving in you, He's producing something good. What God has done in your life is worth others seeing and experiencing. Often I, I call us, or, or, or my, my ministry model, I want to be a reflection of the love of God where I go. I want my life, the way I carry myself, the moments of my life, to be a reflection of His love where I am. I want people to be able to come and see a God who has changed me. I want people to, be, to come and see a God who is speaking to me. I want people to be able to see a God who is, who is changing me. Still, to this day, Changing me, developing me, growing me. I'm still, to this day, the product of the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm still, to this day, a reflection of the love of God. I'm created in the image of Christ. And when I go somewhere, I want people to see that image in me. And I know at times that image isn't very clear. Just come and see. Come and experience Come and join me for a while because when you're near me, you're going to see my ups and downs. You're going to see there. I guarantee you, I told Kathy this, I can say it. There were pages in this book her kids did not like. I guarantee it. I guarantee there are moments that they said, oh, that's, that's mom, be a mom. 
but it's a letter. Your life is a letter from Christ. Your home is a place of Christ. You're a letter that others need to read. Are you willing to say, come? Come and see? Father, this morning in this place, I thank you for all that you've done today. For every truth that you've spoken, Lord, from the time we gathered in Sunday school to the time that we're at right now. I thank you for, for calling us, Lord, to repentance, for acknowledging to us today, God, that, that we need to acknowledge sin. For, 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 for speaking to us today that we need to be serious about these things in our lives that are withholding us from your presence You've invited us today, Lord, to experience all that you have. You've invited us today, Lord, to be forgiven, to experience the power of the cross. And God, as we experience that power, you change us. We are salt and light. Our lives, a letter of the power of God. God, John and Philip, Andrew, the Samaritan woman. These two blind men couldn't contain the good news. That man in that parable sold everything he had to buy that, that treasure. Help us to recognize how good help us to recognize how Incredible. The product of God in my life is. Help us to embrace the miracle of a new creation in you. that we're compelled so that we can't help but share that we can't help but invite others come and see all that God has done this morning as Tam sings Father I just pray You show us our value in your eyes. You show us, Lord, the story of our life, 
the letter that you're writing. If there's some things in there, again, Lord, if there's still some things in there, the hidden sin or the, the, the intentional sin in us, help us to get that out of the pages. You use an eraser, the blood of the Lamb, to take that away, the power of the cross, so that our story, our lives, our tables, places of revelation, reconciliation, redemption, and restoration because of the power of God in me and through me. In Jesus' name. Tim can sing. If you want to reflect, you can reflect. I'll be up here to pray if you want to pray. Come and see. Come and see. Look at yourself and see the power of God. Look at yourself and see the miracle of salvation. The miracle of new creation. Look at yourself and say, hey, I might just be a little bit salty and a little bit bright. There's something worth experiencing. Your table. There's something worth encounter. The Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. And may you invite. May you know the treasure and unashamed, unafraid, unabashedly, brazenly, Invite others 